Hey, I'm so glad that you are here to check out West this morning. Uh, if you've been coming to West for any period of time, you will know that sometimes I say uh, bizarre and unique things, and we like to have fun here at West. So last Sunday, somebody after church told me that I looked like Bob the Builder, and so the purpose of this, the purpose of this series, the Fixer Upper series, is so that the next time you see some construction, or perhaps if you drive to Charlotte every day and you sit in the middle of construction, you'll you'll maybe stop to think about your faith. Our faith is tied into uh, construction, and, and we have this opportunity to fix up ourselves from the inside out, and that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, so that is why I look a little like Bob the Builder. Uh, last Sunday, some of you were concerned that I was going to hit my foot with this hanging on the tool belt, so I decided to take it off this morning, and uh, I love it when you leave or later on in the day when you text me and you email me and you say, you know, you said something really odd. You know, I also like to know, like, if I say anything that resonates with you and helps you grow closer to God, but I always laugh because I do, I, t- I preach and speak extemporaneously. So I don't have a manuscript. I just, I memorize, hopefully, what are going to be the points. And sometimes I say odd things. So last Sunday, when I was doing the introduction, I said, today, my name is Andrea Smith. And apparently that resonated with a few of you wanting to know what is my name on other days. Do I have alternate personalities? And the people that are closest to me might tell you that I do. Uh, But anyway, my name is Andrea Smith. I do have the honor and privilege of being the pastor here at West. If you're worshiping with us and checking us out for the first time or you're relatively newer to West, we invite you to go to our VIP tent out front. We have a special gift for you. We will not inundate you with emails and, and propaganda, but we would like to know that you're here. And so if you would like, we invite you to check out our VIP tent out front. And if you're worshiping with us on Online this morning, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. Our tech team has done uh, miraculous things with our online worship. It's a really great experience. So if you're not here on Sunday mornings, I invite you to check us out online. Today, we are finishing up the message series on construction and fixing ourselves up. And as you've seen by some of the videos already in worship today, we're going to be talking about finishing touches. You know, part of our goal as human beings is always to grow. And our growth stops when the tension between where we are right now and where we could be is no longer present. So our growth, our growth, our internal, our personal growth stops when the tension between where we are right now, who we are, what we think defines us, how we act and all that kind of stuff, when that tension is gone between where we are and where we think we could be. So for just a second this morning, before we get started in the, in the parts and pieces of the message, I want you to think about where do you want to be? And not on a Caribbean island or, you know, hiking some mountains somewhere, but like internally, where do you want yourself to be? What personal goals do you have? We did this message series at the beginning of the year, you know, because we all set New Year's resolutions or lots of people do. And by now, most of the people who set New Year's resolutions have uh, already gone by the wayside. You know, resolutions, they just happen for a little while, but lifestyle changes happen for a long time. And, you know, God created each of us with unlimited potential. God created each of us with unlimited potential. It is our offering or our gift to God to live into that. So what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? 
And I challenge us all to think about that today and in the days ahead so that we can be the best version of ourselves that we were created to be. We're all created in the image of God. Sometimes I think Christianity portrays this image of God as this faraway being that you know we can never be like and we can never experience. But truthfully, God lives in each of us. And we are each created in the image of God. And the process of atonement, the process of salvation is not this aha moment where we have a little life insurance and, you know, we solidify where we're going when we die. That is not what Christianity really is all about. Christianity is about following God through the person revealed to us through Jesus and becoming at one with God because God lives in each of us. And it's this great gift that we can receive if we will if we'll just work on it a little bit that's why I wore the hard hat for the message series you know it's it's hard work becoming becoming the best version of ourselves and being created in the image of God it is not easy it starts with some demolition we have to look at the parts and pieces of ourselves that we're not proud of I think we probably all each have a few of those we look inside and then we we figure out what we need to get rid of And then we start thinking about what we can put inside of our lives, what behaviors and practices we can embrace so that we can become the best version of ourselves. And today we're going to talk about finishing touches. Finishing touches are are like the icing on the cake. It's what takes it all and and makes it pretty. And it, it finishes it up. Now, I don't know if your personality is such that you have a problem finishing things. I did not know that that was a character trait of mine until several years ago and I was going through some leadership development coaching I had this coach and and he was walking through all the different parts and pieces of my leadership and and then he we got to where we talked about how I create a message or a sermon and he said you know so tell me tell me your process so I walked him through it and then he sat and he looked sort of puzzled at me and I said well what's what's wrong I mean he's not he had never been to seminary so I thought well, how can he possibly critique my process now he can certainly critique the sermons and tell me that they stink but you know the whole way of going about them, what's wrong? And he said, okay, so you've given me this, this really nice way of how you go about writing a message, but there's one problem. How do you finish it? How do you know what the end of the message is going to be? And, you know, I was mortified because I didn't know like on Sunday mornings, I spend all this time thinking about all the parts and pieces and making sure that the, the biblical foundation for it is accurate. And I think about the opening illustration and then how I'm going to weave it all together because your transitions are so important. But in my mind, I never got to the end, which probably scares you because you're like, well, maybe that's why they go on so long because there is no end in her mind and she just keeps talking until she gets one. But, but that's not true. I mean, I know what my last Bible point is, but I just never thought about the, the end. It used to drive and probably still does Steve Schoff, our keyboardist, uh, bonkers because he would ask me because he likes to come out sometimes and, and play during the closing prayer, the closing illustration. So it would be, you know, on Sunday, we'd be right before they would walk in. He goes, okay, so how are you going to end it what's your closing illustration and I'm like well I think I'm going to talk about like Winston Churchill or I'm going to tell a story about the teacher or blah 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 and then I'd say well you know actually I really don't know 
Or there were some Sundays that I would tell him what the end was going to be, and I'd find that I'd be talking about it at the very beginning of the message. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't come out like, you know, five minutes into the message. Y'all would be happy, but I would be a little concerned because like the whole meat would never be communicated. I don't finish things well. I don't like to finish projects. I start them and and never finish them. And I don't know, maybe you're like that too. Or maybe if it's not a, a habit that you have, not finishing things, there's parts and pieces of your life that need some finishing touches and you've just never thought about it. This morning, what if we each identify an area of our lives that we need to, we need to wrap up in, in, a, in a nice package and put some finishing touches on it? And then we can go about, you know, the days ahead and, and try to be the best version of ourselves that God has created us to be. That's when we'll be at peace. And that's also when we'll be the happiest is when we're trying to take steps at being the best version of ourselves. If we don't care about that, we'll just find that we're spinning our wheels and, and we're never really happy There was a teacher in Texas. She taught in one of the larger school districts and she taught at a school that was uh, in a high free and reduced lunch part of one of the districts in Texas. Her name was Myra Banks and... It was customary when the teachers would go to school there at this, at this place in Texas that they would all sit in their car until right before time for the bell to ring every day. Like you could drive into the parking lot and you would see the cars and you would also see all the teachers sitting in their cars waiting. They dreaded going to work that much. But not Myra. Every day she would get there an hour early, an hour before any of the students would come and and she would prepare herself for the day ahead. You see, the kids that they were working with and trying to teach, they came from homes where 12% of the kids lived in a home with one parent. Uh, No, no, 12% of the kids lived in a home where there were two individuals, two adults, and the rest lived in a home where there was only one parent. And most of the time when the kids would go home in the afternoon, they would go home to an empty home, an empty apartment, and then the teachers found that by the time, you know, when they'd come back the next day, uh, they had spent the night alone. There were many of them that uh, their guardian or their parent or adult that they were living with just never came home. The more the teachers talked with the kids, the more that Myra would talk to the kids, she realized that many times they would spend the night under their bed because they were afraid of the gunfire that would go on around them. You know, just a few weeks ago, we got a prayer request here at the the church for uh, some kids in in Statesville, one of the schools that we partner with sometimes, Cloverleaf Elementary. And the prayer request was asking us to pray for the kids because there had been so many drive-by shootings. One of the fourth graders had been shot so this stuff is not, you know, made up. It's real. And this, this school in Texas, the kids were living in poverty. They came to school hungry. And this one teacher named Myra, she decided that there was something that she could do to make a difference. And so she, she changed her attitude. And she made up her mind that she was going to do anything that she could and everything that she could to put her life and her efforts into being the best educator. And that meant more than just giving knowledge. 
So every morning when she would go to school, she would start before the kids came in. And when the kids came in, she turned it off. But she had her her Christian music playing in the background. She said that was how she grounded herself, how she fed her soul. So she would start the day with music. And then before the kids would come, she would have breakfast on each of their desks or uh, at their place on the floor because there weren't enough desks to go around. So some of the kids sat on the floor. And every day she would give it all that she had and then she would go home and and she taught for over 40 years. Lots of her colleagues asked her, how can you keep doing it? Lots of her colleagues quit. They hated going to work. It just, it depleted their soul. And she said, well, I'm grounded on my foundation of my faith. I know that God loves me and I love God and I know that with that comes a strength that I can accomplish anything. And so I'm dedicating my life to these kids. Myra didn't quit. Sometimes when we face obstacles in our lives, it is easy to quit. But it's important to not And it's important to figure out what we need, what what things need finishing touches in our lives so we can put the finishing touches on that so that we can go through life and, and be happy and be successful and success being being at peace and at one with God and at one with love. That's when we will live a life that feels like it is put together. And the life that we were created to live. It's, it's all about those, those finishing touches. The Middle is a show. It's funny. Uh, it's on uh, one of the major networks. And they, it's this family. And they deal with the normal family dysfunction that every family deals with. And this morning, I want you to take just a quick look at a clip from The Middle. And it shows uh, how important finishing touches are. Take a look. Stop listening to my phone calls. What Cindy and I discuss is private. Well, if you don't want me to listen, don't talk so close to the wall hole. Oh, yeah? Well, do you have to pray so loud at night? Well, it was for the dwindling rhino population. Oh, thank God. You're finally going to fix the wall. Would you mind fixing my side first? I'm working on a rousing speech to stem the inexplicable mass exodus from Font Club. I'm not fixing either side. You are. What? I'm sick of you two fighting. You either patch in the hole or patch in your mouths. I don't care which. Okay, just so you know, Randy Poteet is a fraud. I should have been suspicious when he also had a video on how to give your cat a shot. Brick, what are you talking about? Well, Randy said straightening the lines of the hole will make it easier to put on the drywall, so I made a few small cuts. Brick, what have you done to my room? Tina? <gasps> Brick! Yeah, but look how straight the lines are. Okay, so what do we do? Dad didn't give us enough drywall to fix a hole this big. He's gonna freak out. Come on, think, Sue, think. (gasps) Wait. Voila. See, it sounds like I'm saying voila, but I'm really saying wall. Ah, like wall. Anyway, the wall is done. Thanks for stopping by. It's fantastic. Couldn't have done it any better myself. Yeah, it's a little wet. Okay. Oh, 
congratulations. I'm impressed. Yeah, no need for compliments. We learned our lesson, and that's all that we did. When the hurricanes hit in Mississippi and New Orleans, when Katrina came, uh, the church where I was, the associate at, we took lots of mission trips down there. And it seemed like wherever we went, one of the things that our task would be, would be to put up drywall. And so you would have the the studs and then you'd have these big pieces of sheetrock. And finally, uh, Pat Benfield just took the tools away from me because no matter what I did, the, the drywall would be crooked or there'd be huge gaps between them. And, you know, there are not enough finishing touches that you can put on drywall that I hang to make it acceptable. It it ends up like the wall, the fake wall that you just saw. About the time that you push in, you would have pushed into it, it, it goes away. Finishing touches are great, but they have to be built on something that is, is strong. And so we have this foundation. We have this God that, that loves us with a love that knows no end. That's the love that carries us through all the obstacles and the hurdles of our lives. And so we have to build it on the foundation. But then, you know, it, it's what we put into it that really makes the final difference. I mean, we can have God and we can have God's love and we can have Jesus and all that warm, fuzzy stuff, but if we don't do something with it, if we don't embrace it and then internalize it and then live it out, then, you know, we're, we're just giving away an amazing gift. We have to finish. So this morning, how can you finish putting finishing touches on your life so that you can, so that you can live at peace and, and at one with God and be happy. There's over a hundred different leaders in the Bible. If you read the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and you read the New Testament, there's over a hundred different people that are cited as being leaders. One of the interesting things is that only one third of those people finish well. If you, if you make a chart of all the leaders and, and you start studying them, you'll see that only one third of them, 33 to 35, finish well. Finishing well is difficult to do. There is a race car driver. He started out, I believe, in Indy, and then he now, I think, races in NASCAR. You know, when I start using race, race analogies or some sports analogies, we're walking on thin ice. But it, this guy's name is, is Robbie Gordon. He started out Indy driving and, and, again, then moved into NASCAR. But he was very, very good in his field in the Indy races. And there was one race, and he was at the lead of the pack. And there were 30 seven laps to go in the race and there was an accident so they threw a caution flag and when they threw the caution flag all the other drivers took a pit stop to get gas and to have their tires whatever you do to tires when you go in through I don't know if you change them you blow them up I I don't know anyway not blow them up literally you know what I mean again the NASCAR things cause me great anxiety but he did not take a pit stop he thought okay there's only 37 laps to go I can finish I don't know if you follow Indy racing or not but he made it till the last lap there was one lap to go and he then had to take a pit stop because he was running out of gas. He's quoted as saying, if you want to win, you first have to finish. And I think that's true for us. If if we want to win, 
in this game of life, as far as doing our soul searching and making resolutions and, and things that we want to change about ourselves, we, we have to finish. And that means we have to think about our attitude and our habits. That's the bottom line for today. In order to finish well, we have to analyze our, our attitudes and our habits. And, and there's a guy in the Bible that I want to share you just a, a brief story about him. He sort of messed up. Not sort of, he messed up a lot. He was uh, one of the wisest people that we know of in, in scriptures and in that time. He, he is the one who built the Jerusalem temple. His father never finished, so he did. And in this dream, he was having this dream. His name is Solomon, King Solomon. And God came to him in his dream and said, what do you want? What is anything that you could possibly want And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so that answer, we read, pleased God because, you know, he didn't want wealth and and riches or kingdoms or anything like that. He just wanted wisdom. In fact, there's this really cool story, if you read about him and his life, that there was this time that two women were claiming to be the mother of this baby, and they came before him, and they wanted him to make the decision, okay, who is the mom? And this was long before DNA testing, so, you know, he decided that in order to make the best call, the way that he would do it was he told them, you know, I can't, I can't decide which one of you is the biological mom, so in order to be fair, I want you to cut the baby down the middle. Just go ahead and, and cut the baby down the middle, and then you each can have a half. Well, one of the ladies said, okay. And the other lady said, uh, absolutely not. Just go on and, and give her the baby. That was the real mom. I mean, he was a wise man. He's known for some of the Proverbs and uh, Song of Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes. But he messed up. I want you to hear how. King Solomon was obsessed with women. He took them from the surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned him, you must not marry women from the surrounding nations because they'll seduce you with infatuations with their gods. But Solomon fell in love with them anyway and refused to give them up. And check out this interesting point. We're gonna do a little rabbit trail in just a second around this. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines. He was a busy man. He had a 1,000 women, he was, in all. And they did seduce him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He didn't stay true to his God as his father David had done. It was an issue of his heart. Now, before we talk about that and before we finish up talking about finishing well, I just, I like to make a point when I can about the nature of scripture. On Christmas Eve, we gave you out little handouts and we asked, what are some of the messages that you would like to hear in the year ahead, 2018 and 2019? Tell us some of the topics and and ideas that you would like for us to talk about and explore and understanding the Bible and the contradictions in the Bible and how to make sense of it, that was a recurring theme throughout each of your cards. 
And so we are gonna deal with that a little later and, and on and off throughout the year. But if there's a chance that I can take to, to make a point, it doesn't really go with the whole message. I figure your attention span's probably checked out with me by now anyway. So uh, you can tune back in and listen to this one point. So I just read to you how this king had 700 wives and 300 concubines. In our world right now, especially in America, we seem to be in this huge debate about the the nature of scripture, especially in religious circles, especially right now in the United Methodist circle, which we are. And, And we're debating what does it really mean? Some people say that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is created without error. It is infallible. And other people, like United Methodists, we say that we believe scripture is the divine inspired word of God interpreted through man. And we look at scripture and we know that it's foundational, but we interpret it based on tradition, experience, and reason. Does it make sense? And this is a good example. So when you have friends that come to you and say, like, you know, why does your church believe this? Or how can you have a woman pastor? Because, you know, that is anti-biblical. Come back to them and say, how many wives or, or mates or spouses do you have? And if they say none or, or one, say, well, you know, you could have all that you possibly want. Because in the Bible, this king had 700 And then he had 300 concubines. He's not the only one. All the the Hebrew fathers, if you read deeply, they had lots of wives. Polygamy was a part of their culture and of their time. And it wasn't a sin. Some of them, you know, the scriptures read that God told them to go take another wife and another wife and another wife. You know, I think most of us would say that having more than one spouse would not be reasonable because, you know, we, if you are married, it, it is an everyday opportunity to get along. I love you too, dear. And I'm saying that for him to get along with me. I mean, you know, we are human beings and we live together and we struggle together and we grow together. So can you imagine having 700 spouses and then 300 others on the side? I think that would be cumbersome at best. So that's the little rabbit trail. You know, we have to be careful when we take scripture literally because probably none of us want a thousand partners But Solomon, he didn't listen to God. It wasn't about, you know, how many wives he had. It was that he took them from the wrong places because they were focused and they were grounded on something that was very different than what he was grounded on. He was grounded originally on God. And and so much so that he had this, this huge dream to be wise. But then he he let himself be distracted. And when he allowed himself to be distracted, that's when idols and other things got in his way. So the secret to us putting a finishing touch on our lives is to not get distracted and to not lose our focus and to not lose our foundation. And we do that by two ways. We develop very healthy attitudes and habits. I want you to take a a look at the definition of each of those. and, And this is the takeaway for this day that I want us to look at. An attitude is when we learn to think positively about something without acting. 
You know, when our kids were growing up and, and they would not do what we wanted them to do, uh, we, would, we would coach them and say, well, you need to do this, or you need to do this, and you need to do this. And, and then they would argue with us, and they'd say, well, I don't feel that way, or I don't want to do it. And I'd say, well, fake it till you make it. If you're not sorry, fake that you're sorry so that you can start feeling some empathy and sorrow for some of the things that you've done. So an attitude is when we start, you know, we start thinking and behaving without having to act. And then a habit is when we learn to act positively without thinking about it. So I want you to take a look at the screen with both of them up there. An attitude is you think positively without acting A habit is when you learn to act positively without thinking. So it's how we think and then how we act on how we think. So what in your life are you thinking negatively about? Do you find that you're quick to judge other people? Do we find that we are quick to be afraid or to get angry at circumstances or other people? What are, we, what are we thinking about that we could change our thoughts? And then, if we'll, if we'll work on how we think and then develop better habits, they say it takes 21 or 28, depending on which study you read, uh, days to create a new habit. If you do it enough, it becomes a part of who we are. So this morning... Let's figure out what it is that we need to put our finishing touches on that will help us be the best version of ourselves that we were created to be. That's like the greatest gift we could ever give to God is to try to be our best selves. There was a guy, he was a a boxer. He was at the height of his career. His name is Reuben Hurricane Harvey and, or Carrie. See, Reuben Carey, sorry, Ruby Herbert. Ah, Reuben, I can't even get his name right. Sorry. And now you're all looking at me. Could you please laugh or something? I'm all anxious now. I've studied this for weeks. Ruby Hurricane somebody. And he was a middleweight champion. He was at the height of his career. And then he was falsely accused of a triple homicide. There's a movie about his life. It's called The Hurricane, and I would invite you to check it out. You can see in the movie how he came to be convicted. Uh, they arrested him, and they took him to the bedside of one of the victims, and the victim is asked, you know, he's, he's like in an ICU, and, and he's not in good condition, and the police come, and they take Reuben to stand right by his bed, and they say, you know, is this one of the men that you saw at the scene? And the victim, you know, just looks at him and you know, shakes his head no. And then you can tell, you know, they glance at each other and stuff and, and they didn't like the answer. And so they, they take him up closer and then they do that suggestive language, you know, look closely. Are you sure this isn't one of the people that was at the scene that, you know, committed this horrific crime? And then there's this long pause and, and the guy nods his head. Now, this devastated Reuben. He knew 
that he had not committed a triple homicide. But he was convicted and put into prison. He's quoted as saying, and I think this is so interesting and applies to each of us today. He's quoted as saying, when he went, he was checked in, uh, he asked to meet with the prison officials. So the warden and some of the other uh, people that were responsible for the prison went and met with him in private. and, And he said, look, I know that you're just doing your job. And I know that you're just doing what you are supposed to do. And, and I want to let you know, I'm not, I'm not ever going to be a problem. I'm not going to break the rules or, or anything like that. I'm, I'm going to be a model prisoner. But I want to let you know one thing. You can put me in here, but you can't take away my freedom. Because my freedom comes from within. And my freedom is a part of my soul. And so for 20 years, he was in prison. He didn't eat the prison food. He didn't wear the prison clothes. And I'm not sure how he got away with that back then, but, but he did. And after 20 years, he finally got an acquittal. But something happened that enabled him to have that acquittal. And that same something is the something that you and I can each do in our lives every day. He dedicated himself to his ideals. And his ideals were to be a person of love and a person of peace. And he dedicated every moment that he could to reading books, legal books, philosophy books, religious books. And he is the one who drove his path toward an appeal until finally he was let physically free. If we aren't careful, we will each find ourselves in some kind of prison in our own lives. It comes when we get distracted. It comes when we lose our focus and and we let the ick of the outside world penetrate who we are. But if we will have habits and attitudes that are grounded in peace and hope and love, And if we'll demolish the things that have have crept into our lives and get in the way of us being at one with God and happy and at peace. And then if we'll rebuild our lives so we can put back in things that and situations and thoughts that are gonna bring us joy and hope and love. And then if we'll commit ourselves, if that's our finishing touch, if we commit ourselves to having those positive attitudes and habits, and commit to being at one with God, grounded on that peace and hope and love, then our lives will be amazing. The growth that we'll experience will be limitless. And the hope will never be discouraged. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to come together and talk about finishing touches. You each give us this gift of life and it's up to us to actually do something with it. So this morning as we, as we finish up this series, I just ask that you work in each of us to show us habits that we could change, attitudes that we could change, and how we can go be about the best version of ourselves that you and the image of God have created us to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We each have freedom to go and live the life that we've been created to live. There are limits.
limitless possibilities that we have been created in the image of God to achieve. So may we go and may we put the finishing touches on our lives. May we develop habits and attitudes that garner hope and love and joy. And may we be good stewards of the lives God's given us. Go in peace.